Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Time to redo this basement? Yeah, a home gym, movie theater, model train utopia. Or yoga studio? I'm flexible-ish. Great. I'll just use the U.S. Bank mobile app so we can plan it out. Which way are you leaning? Setting a savings goal or applying for a home improvement loan? I say we look at both options right here in the app. Budget for a really good home gym. We deserve it. <laughs> Noted. Help for today, planning for tomorrow. That's what U.S. Bank is for. U.S. Bank. We'll get there together. Equal housing lender member FDIC.
righty, right, right. I don't know if my microphone was on in the beginning. I'm not sure if I hit the button or not. So if you didn't hear anything, I'm sorry. Uh, but right there, we uh, started things off for Hitman and Metal Sport Obsession. Tomorrow hides no lies. Mike Viscara did a, I, I think it was Kickstarter. I'm not sure. It was probably Kickstarter because that's what most bands were using back then. Uh, to record a new Obsession record. This was like in 2014, almost eight years ago. And I don't think anything ever came out of that. I mean, I, I they had like a $15,000 goal. I think maybe they made it to five. I don't know how Kickstarter works. I don't know if you donate money and the band doesn't reach a goal or whatever thing you're funding. If you get your money back or they keep the money. But if they kept it, they could have put out an EP for $5,000. I mean, we didn't get anything. And I can't remember the last time Obsession put out a record. Was it 2012? I think even Mike Vizcarra's solo band, Vizcarra didn't have uh, the last record. was in 2017. Uh, I know he was playing with something called Dramatica or something out of Texas or California. I don't remember. And it did have something out a few years back. But honestly, I don't think I've heard anything off that record. So I'm hoping, you know, it might take some of that money if there's any left over and puts out an Obsession album. It's been a very, very long time. Ten years. We need new music already. Come on. All right. And what did we do after that? We did uh, Rex and Fairy with Angel of the Night. Uh, you know what? I got a couple of new songs we're going to get to. It's like a triple set of essays. We got Striper, Steel, Steel Inferno, and Skullkeeper. And right after that, we will get on to the interview with Lee Aaron. Uh, I just got the Striper the other day. I haven't had a chance to sit down and go through the entire record. Uh, so this is the first time I'm really hearing anything off of it with you. We'll see how it goes. Uh, you know, Michael Sweet says that he don't think in his lifetime we'll ever see Striper get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I'm pretty sure he's got that <laughs> nailed on the head. I, I like a lot of Striper records, I really do. And the, when you think about it, they are probably one of the most productive bands out there. I mean, they have a new record out every two to three years for the last two, maybe three decades. So a lot of Striper music out there, but they're not exactly Rock and Roll Hall of Fame material, so that's probably not going to happen. I really don't know why any band even gives a shit about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, you know, when Judas Priest is playing, they're out there selling out arenas like 30,000, 40,000 people, people buying the wreckage, the merchandise, you know, Rob Halford is the metal god. Do you really need to be in a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by Rolling Stone magazine? Does that really make a difference or mean anything to anybody? I don't think so. And I can't wait for that first band that's been denied over and over again to finally get nominated. And then they say, you know what? Fuck you, we're not even showing up. That would be classic. And I'd like to see who's going to be the first metal band to do that. All right, let's get to, let me see, we'll do New Striper first, then we'll get into some Steel Inferno. I love these guys, I really do. Then Scrollkeeper just sent me a brand new song called Misery, we will play that next. So let's do uh, Striper, his Transgressor.
brand new Scroll Keeper with Misery. And then right before that, brand new Steel Inferno. I really dig those guys with Claws of Death. And right before that, brand new Striper. That was the first time I've gotten a hair something off the new tri Striper record. Transgressor and absolutely kicked ass in my opinion. I can't wait to go through the rest of the record. That's one of the problems with you know, like when I started doing this show is that I have a lot of bands and a lot of labels sending me albums like on a, I must get two, three dozen records every day. And it's impossible to really sit down and go through all of them. So a lot of times I have to kinda of pick and choose a song or a little bit here and there. You know, unless it's some band that I'm really crazy about. But I just got a hold of the stripe I think yesterday and I didn't have a chance to sit down with it because I had a, a little back surgery done yesterday, so I was kinda of out of commission. It was great to hear that, so I'm looking forward to more. All right, I think it's time for Lee Aaron. What do you think? How about we play something uh, off of our earlier record, some of the classic Lee Aaron stuff? We'll do Lady of the Darkest Night, and we'll talk to Lee right after that. Shoot. 
It's just audio. We're old school. We oh, okay. uh, do radio. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Some people like to connect, you know, and so they can at least see your face and read your body language and everything. <laughs> whatever. Oh, we, we can connect if you want. It doesn't matter to me. It's just we only need the audio, but we can connect. No, no, no. No, no worries. We don't need to. No pressure. Oh. Uh, <laughs> There's no pressure. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, you know, so the, the first one I did this morning, I wasn't sure how the guy was connecting me with me and I was supposed to be phone and I'm thinking I hope he phones me because I'm still in my pajamas so (laughs) (laughs) I know we live in such a technologically advanced world today nobody knows how to talk or communicate anymore uh well yeah yeah it is weird I have um young teens and um I even see that with them like everything is like I don't know there's something lost in the process of texting and things can get misunderstood I find so easily you know but um yeah it's it's a bit of a definitely a different world hey absolutely i think more friends and family have broken up in the last few years due to social media and texting i know it's so (laughs) stupid or or even just because you know it's funny my father my father is 86 years old and after my mom passed away in 2017 he got on facebook for the very first time in his life because Because he was just lonely and he wanted something to do and he wanted some connection. So he gets on Facebook and then he, you know, the odd time he would repost something that anybody else, someone posted just because he, not because he necessarily agreed with it, but because he thought it was interesting. And then all of a sudden he's like, your, your cousin and your aunt are really mad at me and I don't even know what I did. And I'm like, dad, what did you do? And he, and he explained to me that he, and I said, if you repost something, that means that you obviously agree with that point of view. And yeah. he didn't understand that. And uh, and all of a sudden, he had people in our family mad at him. And I'm like, Dad, i got to sit you down and give you some social media <laughs> advice here and some social media lessons. Oh, and then he was telling me that a bunch of, like, strange, uh, attractive ladies from, you know, Slovenia and overseas <laughs> were like, you know, I said, did you say in your profile that you're a divorcee dad or you're there a widower dad? Yeah. Because if yeah. you said put that publicly in your profile, you're going to have all kinds of vultures from all over the world. And like he just yeah, it's it's sad. It really is sad. Eh? It's funny, but it is sad. You're right. It's crazy. But this is the world we live in. So, you know, I mean, you like me, we come from a different generation where people like to talk to each other interact, go out and meet each other for, for dinner or a drink. It's a different world today, but I'm glad that you're still a part of it making all this great music, Lee, because I have to tell you, I was thinking before, the first record I got was the Lee Allen Project in 1982, so I've been a fan of yours ever since then, and I've... Holy bought, smokes, yeah. And I've bought everything you've put out since then. I was like, wow, I don't know if anyone real, but Lee's put out a record, at least one record in every single decade for the last five decades. I was like, I don't know if I'm feeling old or it's just amazing, the output that you've had. Well, 80s, 90s. 2000s. 2004 was Beautiful Things. Right, right. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
I didn't know. Yeah, I've only been, I thought it was only four decades, but okay, now you're making me really feel old. No, I'm not old. You're still lucky, like you're 20 years old. God bless you. I don't know what you're drinking in the water over there, but it's working. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. That's that's a really nice compliment. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, you know, I just, when it stops being fun, then I will stop making music. But, you know, it's funny. I was just talking to uh, another journalist about this like a half an hour ago. It, it I just find that, you know, the more, the older and wiser that I become and the more interested in, you know, just the world that my kids are growing up in and everything, I I never seem to run out of things to, to want to write about because it, it's almost easier now because, um, you know, it, the, the, let's be honest, the last five years have been totally, it's been crazy town in the world, yeah. you know? <laughs> And I just never seem to write out of things to, to write about or that are things that are, you know, just bubbling underneath the surface that are bugging me. And I thought, well, if I, I can express myself in a song, right? Like, you know, so there you go. I, I mean, your output, I mean, you know, when, when Beautiful Things came out, I waited a year, two years, three years, nothing happened. And then I started getting a little bit involved in social media. I realized that you kind of took a break, you know, with your family and everything. But then when Fire and Gasoline came out, I was like, wow. I mean, Lee's back. She's rocking. And then Diamond Baby Blues brought in that great, you know, rhythm and blues sound. And then the Christmas album, the radio one, then Elevator. I mean, I've never seen anybody so productive and so busy. And there's a difference between just putting out stuff for the sake of putting it out and putting out stuff that's of quality. And each album has gotten better and better. And I don't, the band is jiving together. I don't know what it is. Your songwriting, it's just, it's there right now. Oh, thank you so much. That's like an amazing compliment. I was, you know, I think that as a, a writing uh, entity, because we have, you know, everybody in the band is is a good songwriter. And um, we've kind of reached a, a stride now where we are very comfortable with each other. Like Sean can send me an idea and I can go, yeah, you know, it's not really doing very much for me. And he doesn't take you know his feelings aren't hurt or he doesn't take offense to that he's like hey you know maybe it's for something else and he puts it on a shelf and uh or conversely like he's reached a point where he kind of knows lee will really like this because he knows what i'm the kind of sound i'm looking for and so we've reached a really really comfortable place i think as a writing uh writing partnership you know um with with all of us and um you know, it's so it's we're just in a good place. And uh, again, like I got I just I'm constantly inspired by things I'm seeing and hearing and experiencing in my life to be able to write about. And uh, and, and, you know, in, in, in not only current events, but just being able to, like, go back and and mine some of my nostalgic feelings and memories from the past as well. It's weird. It's just become easier. Um and I don't know if that's just a, you know, a, a result of just being super comfortable in my own skin. I don't, you know, you get, you get to a place in your life when, you know, you've had your kids and you've, you know, lived through, you know, friends dying and uh, I had a parent die in 2017 and you just, you kind of just, you don't really care what anybody thinks of you anymore. You're not self-conscious the way you were when you were younger and you just, I don't, put as many filters on myself and and I'm not competing with anybody anymore. You know, it's just, this is what it is. Right. And, um, so yeah, it's just, I, I feel really comfortable with where we are 
in terms of our, our creativity and our writing these days. You can actually hear it in the music, especially for people that know you and, and have listened to everything you've done in the past. And I was just going to answer that kind of question. I was going to say, are there less inhibitions today or less things to worry about? Because, you know, you go back to the 80s and it was a, you know, music was a big business. You know, uh, heavy metal and hard rock was starting to explode. You were part of that scene and everybody had their hands in you or in a band back then telling you what to do, what not to do. You know, you can't write this, you can't write that. You got to do it. Don't you know it? Yeah. It, it was a crazy business. Like when you look back, you say, "How the hell did I let somebody control every aspect of my musical being back then?" But today, that's that's gone. And I don't know if it's because of the times have changed or it's a been a collapse in like you know the whole music industry itself, like the business part of it. But you know, I can imagine the difference between like you know doing Metal Queen and, and doing Radio One and Elevate. And you can, as a fan, I can hear it. I can hear how free you are to do what you want now. Well, wow, that's a really that's a really nice thing to say. Yeah, I mean, we got you got to remember the 80s. It was just, you know, a massive industry. It was a big money-making machine. And when a record company came along and said, we're going to invest a quarter million dollars in you or a half a million dollars, they absolutely had a say on how things were going to go. Um, and now, I, you know, there's so much freedom for me now in this day and age to not only write what I want to write, I can, you know, image-wise, I'm able to completely, you know, I can handpick who I want to take photos with, and I completely create, control that whole creative process of how I'm marketed and um, what I'm comfortable with to to be out there in the in the cyber ethos out there, you know. But um, and um, yeah, it's just I, I like it a lot better. Oh, and and then I get to I get to produce my own albums. Like back in the '80s, they wouldn't. It was like no way. The girl behind the sound console, they'd never let that happen, <laughs> you know? True. Um, you know, it is. And it, yeah. it's, but it's it's funny how even nowadays, um, you know, even in the bio, the new bio that got sent to the label, they kind of pulled that section out because, you know, I don't know if it's just, like, not cool or what it is, but I, I, I was talking to someone about that a couple weeks ago that still it's like, Nobody ever really asks me about the whole production side and that, you know, um, because there's just not a lot of girl producers out there either, right? So, um, but yeah, it's a, it, it's definitely a different world, and I and I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> Is there a big learning curve in like you know doing the producing part of it? Because you know, like it says, back in the day they were bringing a lot of outside producers, and they kind of dictated how things would kind of sound in the end. And you kind of live and learn from that. I mean, if you go back to the early days, I remember Rick Emmett was a part of one record with the producing, Bob Ezrin, who was like, you know, the be old end-all back in the 70s with Kiss and everything else. I mean, when you're working with people like that, I mean, and Rick Emmett, you know, from Triumph, which is like, you know, a Canadian legendary band, they were still in the kind of infancy back then also. They weren't like, they didn't really hit their peak back then, but they, they became what they became. And when you work with people like Rick and Bob, I mean, do you learn a lot from that when you say, I don't want to do some of the things that they're doing? Or you say, you know, I kind of like this and I want to, you know, take it to the next level when I get to that point. Well, let me first say that from working with some of the producers I've worked with in the past, um, Bob Ezrin, uh, Peter Coleman, who did several Pat Benatar records, um, what you you were saying, mentioning Rick Emmett, who was involved in some of the production on my my first album, and he sang on a song. And um, I'm just trying to think of and Bob Bob Ezrin produced my um, Call of the Wild. I learned so much 
working with some of these amazing, amazing people and talented producers. But back in that that era of hard rock, it was not even an option, really, for an artist to step up and to be able to produce their album. Record company, there was a mindset within the record industry that, you know, when you're investing, obviously, you know, quarter to a half a million, because so much money was spent on making records back then, but so much money was made in that industry back then. Um, when they were, if they're footing the bill for an album, you know, trusting an artist that possibly, and of course I was, you know, I didn't, I, when I worked with Bob Ezrin, I was 22 years old. I had no track record. They're not going to throw a quarter million dollars and say, here, go for it. There, there was, was absolutely no trust there at that point in time. So, the, and a lot of the artists were very young back then. So their their mindset was, we hire a dude with a track record of making hit records, and understandably so. Like I have no bitterness in in my mind, at, you know, over that. Um, you know, so when they were hiring a guy like Bob, you know, who had a track record with Alice Cooper and Pink Floyd and who, you know, all the other bands that he produced, uh, Alice Cooper, you know, like, um, I, I think if I was a record label, that's kind of the route I would have gone as well. So I, you know, I, I understand why they did that back then, but it didn't leave a lot of room, you know, as an artist to, um, for your, for your voice to be heard. And so it's, I, I just like it so much better now and, um, learning, you know, to produce, I think probably one of the most important things that I've learned as a producer is to hire the best engineer that, you know, if you, cause you're not always going to be going into the same studio, you know what I mean? So if you're going into say like, you know, little mountain, the old little mountain, or you're going into like, when we went in there, we hired um, a guy named Ben Kaplan who worked in that studio all the time. And he knew that console inside and out. And then, you know, I go into the armory and I'm working with Mike Fraser because he knows that console inside and out. The role of producer for me is to understand the takeaway, to understand the sounds you want. But that doesn't mean I'm going to be able to, I might walk over to Mike and go, you know, I don't really like all the ambience, the long, you know, that we're hearing on that snare right now. Can you dial that out for me, for us? And then he goes over there and twiddles the right knobs to make it happen. But you're, you know, the end result is I'm walking away with what I want to hear at the end of the day. The songs are arranged the way that I want to hear them. Um, you know, when we're doing overdubs, I am bringing everything back into my own home studio for the overdubbing process and doing all the, and the overdubbing and the editing in my house, you know? So yeah, I had to become proficient in, music software uh, my choice is logic apple logic because i find it's it's way more artist friendly as a creation tool um yeah i don't know i'm kind of uh pontificating on about this but yeah next question <laughs> no, no, just, no, a lot of people a lot of artists would say you know we like to have an outside producer come in because you know they hear things that we don't we might be too close but doesn't you don't you know the music better than anybody else and how it should sound considering that you're the one singing it writing it and performing it well, I think so. And 
I agree. I agree on one level that you can get a little inside your own head when you're sitting there. Like when I'm bringing, when I say bring all the bed tracks back to my home studio and I'm working on, um, you know, keyboard parts or the background vocals or, you know, editing, editing a vocal or edit or deciding, you know what, this song needs an edit somewhere, you know, um, it's too long. You can get a little inside your head, but that's also the beauty of being able to work in your house is I can, I can go, you know what, I think I'm losing my perspective on this a little bit. I need to put it on. I need to walk away for the evening and just leave it and come back the next day with fresh ears, you know, and, and then, you know, have Dave Reimer come over to my house, who's my bass player and my background, main background singer. And we laid out some background vocals and he's hearing it with fresh ears for the first time. And then he, you know, gives me a little bit of feedback. I'm like, yeah, you know what? You're right. I think I'm going to go back and re-edit that or re, you know, re-record that keyboard play part because I don't think it's the right sound. And uh, so it's not like I'm never, I mean, part of being a good producer is inviting healthy feedback on on the stuff right and uh inviting people that you trust into the into the little production world for feedback so that you can take you know take away what what works for you and what doesn't and i'm all i'm always open to good constructive feedback that's important it definitely is and you know people talk about lennon and mccartney but i have to talk about aaron albani because going back to sure. Metal Queen, where you guys really started working. I mean, I know, I know, John played on the Lee Aaron Project. He played some guitar, but it was it was during Metal Queen where you guys started to become songwriting partners together, and that continued and got bigger and bigger and greater and greater, going up to Emotional Rain. There was a real tight songwriting partnership between the two of you. I mean, I don't know, you know, for people that don't know about songwriting, you could hear that progression from Metal Queen up to Emotional Rain, what you guys were doing together. I just think you two guys were outstanding together. Oh, thank you. I still talk to John. He has a studio in Nashville. I might have mentioned this on the, la the last time we spoke. He's got a studio in Nashville called Sonic Eden, and I love John, and I think he's just such an uber-talented guy. And But he got so deep into wanting to be involved in the production end that he... And, you know, when music shifted in the 90s, a really away from the 80s sound... It just, it wasn't so much his wheelhouse anymore. And he made an executive decision, you know, a personal decision that he wanted to start his own studio. And he moved down to Nashville where the burgeoning Nashville sound at that time was going very much in the direction of 80s rock, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's where he found a home. And I'm so happy for him that he did that. And he's still doing really well down there. Um, we talk occasionally on the phone. I, I, I love the man. He's a wonderful friend and, I, again, like a, a great talent. I always have in the back of my head that it would be fun to go down and just record a couple of songs at his new studio and have him play guitar on some stuff. Um, Sean Kelly and I have talked about that. Um, and, you know, for quite a few years, I was unable to find someone to fill, to fill Albany's shoes. Um, and then, of course, as you know, from 2004, when my daughter, and then subsequently 2006, when our son was born, till 2016, I I took 12 years off writing and recording as a hiatus because um, I was really just enmeshed in 
raising my family. It, it believe me, it's all consuming. <laughs> yeah, and, no. uh, that's all my creative energy was going there. But when my kids got, my son was about seven, my daughter was about ten, and I'm like, okay, you guys are old enough to brush your own teeth now and make a peanut butter sandwich. I'm gonna write another record, <laughs> you know. So I was dying to to be creative again, um, but I I needed to wait, you know, to till a time in my life where my kids were independent enough that I felt. I felt ethically like it was okay to do that because your kids really need you when they're young, you know, and I wanted them to not be in therapy when they were 30 because they felt <laughs> neglected as children, right? So I put everything into to being a mom for a, quite a few years. And I mean, I still am. I'm still, you know, very involved in their lives. But, um, you know, uh, there's an I've carved out enough space to be creative again, which is great. And... Uh, I, Expounding on that as well, um, you know, I met uh, Sean Kelly in 2014. I was involved in uh, on interviews for a book that he put out then, and he actually has a new book coming out next year. The It's called, uh, oh my gosh, what is it? Don't Call It Hair Metal, The Art in the Excess of 80s Rock or something like that. It's, it's um, so it's in defense of, of 80s rock rock music. Um, so he's a great writer as well, but we just got along like a house on fire and we started writing together. And, uh, so I'm sort of on this new kick now with, um, you know, new writing partnerships and, uh, just moving onward and upward. It's really, and it's just been so fun. And, and it shows in all the music. I mean, I, I, you know, your music, I mean, you've been all over the place from, you know, from heavy metal to hard rock to more poppy music to the jazz to the blues. And you can span all genres, and it works for you, and it works for your fans. If you told uh, an 18-year-old kid in 1984 when Metal Creek came out that you know, somewhere down the road, Reed's going to be doing blues and jazz and, and, and popular music and rock, they're like, no, 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 not for me. Those same people are buying all your records today and love everything you do. You've managed to do something that nobody else can do, and you've melded everything together where fans can go see you live and listen to anything you perform and be happy. Well, I try to keep the jazz performances and the rock separately. Mostly, I'm doing, I'm doing rock these days. But, um, but thank you for saying that. Um, you know, you know, Robert Plant. Has, you know, not that I'm comparing myself on any level to Zeppelin or Plant, but Robert Plant is somebody who has has continued to move forward. You know, artistically and creatively, and I have a lot of respect for him as an artist. And it would be so easy for him to go back and just milk the Zeppelin thing. Of course it would be. And I mean, personally, as a fan, I'd like to see him do it. But we all would. But I think at the end of the day, in in his career, people are going to look back and go, got a lot of respect for Robert Plant for sticking to his guns and being being true to his art and continuing to move forward in that way. And I would like to think that you know obviously on a slightly different level obviously than Robert Plant but that people would say that about me someday in the end that I've you know I've tried to you know embrace obviously all of my everything that's great about the 80s you know the big guitars the melodies the harmonies that aesthetic but I've continued to write music that I think weaves in my my jazz, my blues bluesy influences and um, into the rock that I'm doing today 
and uh, that's the place where I feel the most comfortable. You know, and I hope that I'm respected in the end for that. And it's so easy, like, when you decided to come back into music again full-time that you could have became a nostalgia act and just went back and did all your old songs and people would have shown up for every show you've done. But you didn't, you didn't do that. You, Like I said, you moved on. And, you know, I, I love being nostalgic. I love thinking back to the 70s and the 80s and all those great times that we had. But I like to live in the present also. And I want to hear new music. You know, I can listen to, you know, Call of the Wild and Metal Queen over and over again. But I want to hear new stuff. And when you put out a new record... I absorb it because it still has all those classic elements that a song should have. A lot of older artists put out records, and I can't remember what I listened to five minutes after I listened to it. But when I play your songs, there's a hook, there's a catch, there's a chorus. And that, to me, is what makes a great song, and you're putting them out. I mean, the first song I played from the record was Spitfire Woman. When I heard that bass thump, I was like, oh, my God, this is just incredible. And I feel <laughs> like I dig back in the 80s again, like when you heard that song for the first time when you put the record on. You still bring that back with your music, and I think that's what's important. Oh, thank you. And then I surprise you with an electric violin solo. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But you know what I mean? So I, like, I, I totally hear what you're saying, but I'm like, yeah, but you know what? I'm going to take that song to a different place. Yeah. You know? That's my thing. It's funny because I was just talking to a journalist and he said, have you ever considered, you know, coming back and just doing like a, an album that just embraces all of that exact 80s, you know, production values and keyboard sounds and synths and all that stuff? And I'm like, like, because his favorite song is Powerline. And I said, yeah, you know, I could do that. But I I, I think that's for people like, you know, Shay Kane and, that, you know, like that new Frontiers artist. And, like, she's, what, 20-something, and she's doing a total remake of that 80s vibe. And I think that's for the younger generation to go discover it and re-emulate it. I don't think that necessarily... I am going to be respected or get the best reviews by completely rehashing what I did in the past. I don't think that's where I want to go. I, I'll put keyboards on my new record, but I kind of want to do it in a modern kind of way, if that makes any sense. So, so you're hearing it, but you're going, oh, it's not just an 80s sound. It's something different, you know? <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. When people hear this new record, they'll, they'll get that vibe and they'll, they'll know what we're talking about. I'm glad that this year I suddenly were able to get out and start playing live again. I know you had a couple of shows at the end of 21, but, you know, things went downhill <laughs> in the beginning of 20, and you weren't able to get to play live. And that has to be a little disappointing when you have all these new you know, all these new records out there you want to go out and promote, and you can't get out there live and do it. So I'm hoping that, you know, 2023, you really be – I mean, is, if, are you looking to get out on the road for long stretches of time, or is it still hard, kind of hard to do that with the family? Is it more like shorter length of shows or maybe festivals or one-offs? So we've kind of found a rhythm that works for us as personally and professionally as a band because, again, Dave Reimer has a son. John and I have kids that still live at home, and Sean Kelly has a young family as well. So what we've found is working for us is going and doing one-offs and also little pockets of shows. Like we might go do like a festival and then two other shows right around it and um, come back and then a week or two later go out and do it again. And so we were able to go across the road in Canada and, and tour quite a bit for Radio On this past summer, which was great. And we were able to make it over to Europe and do a couple of festivals. In fact, I'm heading back to Europe, to France, um, in the uh, at the end of this month again, too, for Vouziers Festival, which is really going to be fun. Um, so we found a rhythm that's kind of working for us right now. Um, in the future, though, uh, you know, who's to say? We definitely 
would probably like to get out there for longer stretchers. And we're doing Monsters of Rock this coming uh, spring. Oh, I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, yeah cruise, Monsters yeah. of Rock. So I'm very excited about that. That's a week-long thing. And, um, you know, we we were disappointed because 2021 was kind of a bust. We, we did two shows in 2020. Three shows. No, two shows. One in the summer. And then we managed to squeeze out one more in the fall before just everything was just like it's too weird and shut down again. And, um, yeah, that was disappointing. But what do we do? Let's write, let's write and record a new album. So Elevate is kind of our COVID baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's you know? great. I, I'm hoping you can get down to the, to the stage. I would love to see. I mean, I just missed – I was on a cruise and I was in Hamburg and I just – I saw the billboard. I was like, oh, my God, we just, we're missing it by a day. Lee Aaron is playing and we're here a day earlier. I was like, oh, I couldn't no. believe this. Ah, just the Murphy's Law, right? <laughs> Unbelievable. But I, I'm hoping you can get down to the U.S. I know you're going to be in Florida, but you'll be on the cruise. But I would love to see you live and hear all these great songs live. Well, thank you. I hope we get – you know, um, I know there's a – you know – Part of the issue for me is I never had a real official release. When I was owned and controlled by large labels, an official big U.S. release in the 80s, which kind of hurt me, um, you know, in terms of um, being able to do much touring down there. But I know there's a few festivals like Rocklahoma and a couple of others down there that um, bring in Canadian acts. And it's yeah, definitely our, our hope to get on some of those in the near future. That would be great if that could happen. Lee, I'm not going to keep I know you've been doing these things all day long. I'm probably one of the last. I hope I'm your last one for today. <laughs> you can I take a break. Today. It is for today. But, yeah. But, yeah, it was awesome talking to you, Mike. It's always great to, to catch up and uh, hear what you have to say. And you always just have some such positive things to say. So thank you. Well, Lee, I'm a big fan of Elevate, another tremendous record. And I can't wait for the next one. And, if we, and the way you've been going, I'm pretty sure it'll be in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. <laughs> all right. Lee, you have a great day. Take care and stay safe out there. All right.
suggested that we could talk it over in bed cause love is dead for the spitfire Spitfire Woman, absolutely love talking to Lee. We gotta get to Matt Marinelli from Borealis in a little bit. Play a couple of more songs between now and then. Uh, let me see. Mark Tanella from Accept got sick last week. He couldn't play a couple of shows, so the band flew in Jason McMaster to fill in. So I, I found it kind of funny that the replacement singer for Accept needed a replacement singer for himself. I know Mark was back the other night when they played at the Chance in upstate New York, and I think Jason was also playing during that show. I think both singers were up on stage. Listen, I understand people get sick. I, I know that. And it happens, especially when you're the lead singer, you know, when you come down with the flu or a virus or anything else. It's hard to be out there performing and singing at the same, you know. It's just a hard thing to do. But when I pay to see a band play live, I want to see the band I pay for play live. I mean, Jason is a great singer, you know, amazing. Love the guy. But I want to see the band that I'm paying to see. And it's getting really disappointing that bands are continuing to tour and play when key members of the band are getting sick and can't play. I mean, you see it over and over and over again now. And it's just getting a little ridiculous. Cancel the shows or refund, or give the people the option to get a refund on their money because it isn't right that they pay to see Mark singing the Accept songs and you got Jason in there. Or you get no Mark at all like the night before and they had, I think, the drum and one of the three guitar players singing. I know stuff happens and there's a lot of money on the line for these bands and they're just barely making it as it is right now. Uh, but that's not fair to the fans. I hate to say it, but it's really, it's just not fair to the fans. Cancel the show. 
That's it. End of story. You know, that's the way it should be. You know, if Ozzy Osbourne was performing live and Ozzy couldn't perform because he got sick, I don't want to hear Zach Wilde singing the Ozzy song. I love Zach Wilde. You know, I don't want to hear the bass player singing it. I don't want them bringing in, you know, the hologram of Ronnie James Dio to perform the Ozzy songs. I want to see freaking Ozzy. You know what I mean? I know there's kind of a difference between, like, you know, Ozzy, who is the band playing and, you know, accept it, but it, it, don't play. Just cancel the show, reschedule the show, do something, but don't take the people's money and then, you know, bring in some replacement player. Just isn't right. Don't like it at all. And then I saw that uh, my boy Bobby Gustafsson was uh, has parted ways, I guess, amicably <laughs> with violence. Uh, but, you know, if you read the, the saying that they released, or the statement they released, it sounds so businesslike and so cold. Like, you know, if they, you know, I think it was, you know, violence and Bobby Gustafsson have agreed to part ways effective immediately. That's like when you get terminated from a company with a, with a non-disclosure agreement in place. I mean, it doesn't sound like, you know, a, a bunch of bands, you know, guys and bands playing together. The band cites logistical difficulties that weigh too heavy, that weigh too heavy to function in a productive manner. You got Phil Dremel, who's hardly ever there with the band. He's always out playing with other bands, you know, doing his own thing. But, you know, that's okay. I, there are bands that are playing all over the world that have members all over the world. Some of them aren't even in the same countries. You know, you got four members in four different countries. And they managed to make it work. I mean, I know it's like, you know, the file sharing and the swapping does a lot with the recording. And I know when you have to rehearse, you kind of got to get together right before a show and do it. But, hey, listen... Jack Panza, none of those guys live in Colorado anymore. The tyrant is over in Greece these days. They still make it work. They still were able to get together and record a record. Uh, and, you know, they're going to go out on tour. So I, that doesn't make sense to me. There's more going on to this than just that, I believe. Bobby hasn't said anything, which is very surprising. Uh, but, you know, you don't write down effective immediately. It sounds like a business dealing. I know music is a business, but, you know, a band like Violence isn't out there making a ton of money. You know, they're playing some shows and just having a good time. I don't know. It makes no sense to me when, when bands write things like that or talk like that. Who the hell knows? But that's what goes on with that. All right. How about we do a couple of more songs? We'll get to Borealis right before that. Right after that, I should say. Who do we got on next week before I forget? Oh, Christian Harvard from Zentrix. They got a brand new record out called Seven Words. We'll be talking to Christian next week. It's been many years since I've had him on the show. I think even before the last record came out. And then we're lining up all of our guests for November. I can't wait. My good friend Steve Gaines from Anger is On and Abattoir will be on the show. We got Jeff Allen from Witch Slayer on the first week. And the rest of the guests are all being confirmed right now. So we'll announce those probably during next week's show. So uh, how about we do a little kamikaze from Takashi, New York's own Takashi. <laughs>
Majestic Ride, Eternal Paradise. We're going to get to Borealis in about two minutes. We'll play something all by the band, and after the interview, we'll play something new. Same old routine. I tell you, you need a lot of money to go see shows in New York these days. I mean, I checked out some Iron Maiden tickets. John said he was at the Iron Maiden show this weekend in New Jersey, and it was a great show. Played almost two hours. Uh, I tried to get tickets last minute. Uh, the best price I could find was like $90, almost 100 bucks, like nosebleed seats up on the top. Then you got to tack in all the expenses to get there. You're looking at like $150 night for one person. Like in the last 10 days here in New York, besides Iron Maiden, we had Judas Priest and Queensryche in town. Raven played in Brooklyn. Uh, who else is there? There was one other band that was uh, come. Oh, well, we were supposed to have Venom Inc., uh, but uh, it looks like Mantis couldn't get uh, get the proper clearance to come to the U.S., so all of those shows were canceled. They were headlining a lot of shows. One was going to be here in New York, but... And then you have Accept playing this week, so you got like, you know, well, whatever version of Accept is out there right now. Uh, but you got like four pretty good bands all in one week. I mean, that's a lot of money and a lot of tickets, but we all kind of knew this was going to happen when the COVID thing broke and bands were going to get out there playing. We're going to have a lot of record releases coming out at one time, a lot of touring after that. It's just the way it goes. But, like, some of these tickets, especially for the arena shows, are really, really getting expensive. I mean, I looked into the Scorpions. I was trying to get, you know, passes from one of my uh, contacts, and I just couldn't get them in time. And the tickets were, like, $125 for the Scorpions in New Jersey at the Borgata Hotel. It was a tiny, you know, I shouldn't say tiny place. I think it was, like, a 2,000-seat arena, maybe 3,000. Not a big place for the Scorpions to play, but the tickets were through the roof. I just couldn't believe that. Then you got to tack on all these fees. Like, it's usually like 40% of the ticket price is also added on to that in fees and taxes. So, absolutely crazy. So, you know, I haven't gone to a lot of big arena shows, and I don't know if I'll ever go again. Not at these prices, but who the hell knows. All right. Let's do some Borealis. We'll talk to Matt. How about we do something off the last record, My Fortress. Here you go. Dream! 
you know, you've kind of kept a pretty consistent lineup over all these years, which is, I think, even more impressive because it's very hard for bands to do that today. Yeah, we like until recently. Uh, yeah, we had a pretty solid lineup for a long time, um, but uh, yeah, it wasn't until recently where we we kind of switched um, a few members. Um, but uh, yeah, so we lost one. We we lost the keyboard player, so he he uh, just didn't feel like doing it anymore. And then we lost our bass player. So then we <laughs> in the in the writing process of illusions, we had. Uh, it was just the three of us at one point. And you guys did an amazing job of just three people. If you go back to the beginning, were, were you guys friends with each other? Was it a, a band that started amongst friends, or did you put ads out looking for each other? How did the whole Borealis come together? It, it was all friends. It was um, just high school kids. I, I was, I'm the oldest one in the band, and um, the uh, they're friends of mine, and they had their own. They're doing their own band thing, and I was doing my own thing as well. But I was really into like the European style music, and the band that I was playing with current or at the time, it was not that at all. And then they were kind of just jamming, just having fun. But they were doing covers of all the European bands, and I was like, man, like I want to do that instead. So, uh, yeah, I just talked to them and said, hey, like why don't we just do this? Like why don't we be a band? And um, yeah, so that's what we did. We just started playing covers for a long time and then we wrote the song black rose from our first album and we played that way too long like we just that was the only song we knew at the time <laughs> and uh yeah and then from there it just like went one song after another after another and then eventually we had enough songs to put out an album and then we just never stopped <laughs> I'm glad you did it. Well, you know, you said you were a fan of the European metal scene, and, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, at Borealis, you know, the prog metal, the symphonic metal, they have that European sound. Do you think that labels and genres kind of hurt a band more than help them? Because as much as people can say, well, they, they're for me, it's like, like this band, but it also makes people think that you are that band, where, you know, you want to stand on your own merits. So do you think comparisons and, and labels or genres kind of hurt a band more than help them? I, I personally do. And the reason why I do is, like, we get especially us like we get put in this power metal genre and i kind of maybe i'm wrong but i, I kind of disagree with that label um like i feel the more like the when i think of power metal i think of uh, fantasy elements um, like wizards and dragons and um high-pitched singing and and um so we get grouped in that kind of genre a lot when i feel like we're more of just like a melodic metal band with like symphonic elements to it um but again i could be wrong i just maybe it's because i don't listen to the overly power metal stuff and i just i never understood why we would always get compared with some of the fantasy bands and but every review will get compared to evergrey so it's a weird uh well, I can get the Evergrey thing more than the power metal thing because, you know, they are one of the sure. premier Euro Euro European uh, symphonic bands. But, you know, like you said, you were influenced by that type of music. That's what kind of got you going, what you wanted to do. But yeah. then there comes a point where, you know, you have to develop your own sound and your own style. And you guys did do that very early on, at least in my opinion. I wouldn't compare you to any other bands doing it. Yes, it's in that same category, but you guys were doing something different. And how did you develop that sound and style on your own? Well, I think it, it's we um, we all have different influences uh, in the band, and I think it kind of shows a little bit when we all write because when we write our stuff, it's 
it's very group oriented. It's we do everything as a as a band. So I'll have a riff, Kenny will have a riff, Sean will even have something created, and uh, we kind of go in with it. And Kenny will say, "Hey man, what if we do this at this section?" And Sean would do the same. So we have we're, we're taking input from all from everyone, and because everyone has different uh, influences, it kind of to me it molds kind of what we are um, because there's lots of times when we'll have a, a song that is more rock based and then because that's more kind of what I've always growing up listening to but then we'll have something that's a little more heavier like a soil work type sound because that's what Kenny listens to then we'll have something that's a little more epic and and bombastic because that's what Sean does so it's it's we're kind of just taking everything that we like and just mushing it all together so I guess it's like an anything kind of ghost type of uh, mentality when it comes to writing music because you're open to any anything and willing to make it work within the frame of the band. It's true, and I think that's the the beauty of metal is there's so many subgenres of it that pretty much anything does go. Like we can have the heaviest song we'll ever write, and we can also have the slowest song we've ever written, and uh, and that's the beauty of metal to me because you it's allowed you can put it. Um, and anything and people won't be like oh wow that doesn't make sense why would they do that it's, there's always some if it's folk metal or um, melodic death metal whatever the the case is you, you, there's always room to pretty much do whatever you want in metal that's true do you consider yourself a storyteller because you know from the offering to illusions it kind of picked up the story where it left off with the last record maybe a little bit further down the line but do you feel telling the story musically is just as important as the actual music itself? Uh, I, like, I do. Like, the reason why we always kind of go the, the concept album route now is it's just, it's just enjoyable to do. Like, for me, I, I enjoy kind of just creating something that's not necessarily reality-based. I find um, there's so much going on yeah. in the world right now that sometimes it's nice just to, like, escape and just do something where you can kind of create um, a story. I'm a very big fan of movies and stuff like that, so it's just kind of my outlet to kind of explore the fictional side of things, I guess. Yeah. The sad part is that there's so much going on in this world today that if you wrote a story about it, people would think it was fiction. <laughs> no, no kidding. <laughs> you wouldn't even believe that it was made up. It's just, you know, that's where we've come to the point in you know this world right now, but... You know, I love it. When you, when you do have a concept and you do have a story to tell, I, I mean, do you try to make it one continuous story straight through where you have to kind of follow along from song to song? Or do you make it where, like, I feel like, you know, I can listen to any song out of order and it still tells its own story separate of the main story? Well, I think um, with our last album, like The Offering and even Purgatory, they were very, like, start-to-finish style albums. So... You can definitely listen to each one and take what you want from it, but it is a very like start to finish um, type story. With this new one, um, even though it's it's continuing loosely from the offering, it's one of those albums where you could listen to any song um, in any order and you'll still get the same um, feeling with it because it's it's just based from the surviving kids from the offering and their take earn their take on what they witness and how they're handling it now so that's why you could have there's some songs where the kid wants to be sacrificed and is upset that he didn't get the chance to 
to be sacrificed for the called. There's others who are stuck in that world and are terrified and don't think they can get out of that feeling. Others are feeling more hopeful, being like, you know what, I can get out of this and I'm going to do, I'll be okay. So it just allows, we wanted to kind of go that route because we could kind of experiment with different feels with the music and, um, and just explore more um, because we just wanted to say, oh, this one feels a little more upbeat and this one feels a little more melancholy and sad. So I don't know. It's just stuff we like to do just to make it interesting for us. You know, today bands are always looking at different ways of, you know, capitalizing on a record coming out by trying different things. And I've noticed that a lot of bands today, especially when they have concept records, they're putting graphic novels with it, comics that are done by it. Is, is this something that ever crossed your mind, maybe through the whole series or for each album individually, putting out a graphic novel or a comic book that would accompany it and tell the story? I know for Purgatory, I wanted to do that. I wanted to have something that was a little more... Um, concept driven where people really knew okay this is what the story was um, but it would, that more came down to just financial things like there was just it was almost impossible for us to, to do something like that and make it work um, where it wouldn't where we just wouldn't lose a ton of money doing it so um, we just it was just a, a dream to do and then we just never ended up doing it but the other albums i feel uh sometimes sometimes it's nice not to force it down their throat just because i I feel like some people may not want to um follow that story and they want to take the song the way they hear it so um sometimes even with the offering even though it was kind of a very structured kind of concept i feel like there's a lot of songs on that album too where you could take it many different ways it doesn't have to be exactly the way uh, we were making it and it's the same for illusions where even though we're focused on one sort of topic you can kind of relate it to many things um in life true you know everybody to read the lyrics of a song differently depending on how you wrote it people like i said they'll take it in a hundred different directions have you ever of heard course, somebody yeah. tell you about a song that you wrote saying this is what i got out of it this is what it meant to me and you're saying that was nowhere near like what i meant that wasn't even like in the ballpark but they came up with that concept of that idea from one of your songs. Yes, uh, I remember. I think it was Purgatory, Pur- but Purgatory was um, one that uh, I understood why. But a lot of a lot of people took uh, not a lot, but some people took the album as um, every song was about suicide and about um, poor me kind of description when that wasn't the idea at all the whole story was based on one particular person um going through something so uh yeah i've had people (laughs) explain to me about certain things on that album where i was like this is not what it is at all yeah i could actually get it with that record just by the titles of the songs i mean from the ashes sacrifice rest my child purgatory it all kind of leads people to that, that that assumption just based on the titles and maybe they didn't really oh 100% dig into the lyrics you know no, hundred percent. Yeah, and it's I get it for sure. Um, but um, maybe it's maybe it's my fault for not <laughs> making it clear enough. But it's uh, no, but it's to me. I love it. I'm I'm glad that people take it differently, and I'm and it's uh, that's the great thing about music. 
you know, I would think that a lot of work, I mean, I know a lot of work goes with actually, you know, writing, recording, and, and putting out a record, but it seems like, you know, you know what it means to put out a package deal. Like, you know, the album cover fits in with the music. Everything kind of flows together. I mean, you don't skip on things. And the artwork, to me, is such a big part of the album because, you know, the last three, four covers have just been incredible, in my opinion. Oh, thank you. Well, covers to me are important because I'm a little more old school where I'm, like, I love physical media and I love, and I, I, I still think there's a place for covers. And I know a lot of, like, there's some people, especially now with the with the music being very digital and people are like, oh, you can just put any cover out but I just disagree. I just feel like it's it's kind of a window to like that world, and I I'm so adamant on having covers that look cool, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I just I've always loved that, and we're I know we're not going to change that. Every album that we put out, we're going to do everything we can to uh, release a cover that's at least catchy and nice looking and tells a story yeah they do Matt were, were you always planning on being the singer from the beginning was singing something that you always did it came natural to you were you, in the beginning where you just going to be the guitar player and then decided you know maybe we couldn't find the right person to do this and I'll, and I'll do it well it was, that was pretty much what happened it, originally I was just the guitar player and uh, we had a female singer uh, in the band doing it was more very Nightwish like old Nightwish she was doing an operatic uh, style and she left the band and we were auditioning female singers and we had a show uh, with Sonata Arctica at the time and that was our biggest show and we were like we can't cancel this show but we don't have a singer so then I was just like okay I'll sing for the show so we can play play it and then after the show we'll go back to looking for a singer and we played the show and and the um, the reaction was good. Like I was I wasn't expecting people to really enjoy it because like singing was not something that I was comfortable doing really. But um, the reaction was good and then we were, we just kind of agreed like why don't we just try it and see what happens and it uh, it was one of those things where we didn't it was hard to even find another singer because at the time especially. The, the screaming vocals were very upfront in music. I, everyone was screaming, especially at that time. And finding a male vocalist that would just sing was really hard to find. Um, so yeah, we just stuck with me. Hey, it, it worked. I mean, I have to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you kind of didn't go to female singer route because I think you would have been compared to too many other bands from that genre that had female singers. I think by you taking it over, yeah. it really defined the band that made it. You know what it is today. That's just my opinion. Oh no, I, I appreciate that. Because I don't see, I don't see how it would have worked out. But are there any recordings or anything that you did record with her singing that you might be able to release as maybe as a bonus track? Or we uh, we actually released because um, the only thing that we had recorded was a demo, and uh, we actually released it. I think it was it was either the beginning of this year or last year, just on YouTube. Um, so if you look up uh, Borealis Eyes of a Dream uh, demo. Um, it, the cover just says Borealis and it has like it almost looks like outer space kind of on the cover and uh, I think there's five five songs but uh, yeah it has a female singer and there's a couple songs on there that 
were never released because like there's there was Black Rose and World of Silence as a female like the female was singing it and then uh and then we did a couple more songs that were never released after uh after she left yeah i i've never really go to youtube i have to go and check that out you know the things that sound like i mean you know we we live in a social media world today we live in the world of the internet and i mean it has its good and its bad like everything else in life but there was a time, you know, back in the 80s when I was a kid, <laughs> where bands had to kind of make their bones playing live, like where they came from, and then branch out and, you know, take it to the next city, the next state, and, and keep moving on. I mean, is yeah. something like that even possible for, I mean, especially being from Canada, where it's such a humongous country. I mean, you know, just getting around from one place on one side to the other is a daunting task. So does the internet make things that much easier for bands today to get the word and get the name of the band out there where they can't maybe travel right away to go play those places to build up an audience? It really does. It's a blessing and a curse because it, it gives you that outlet to um, to expose yourself to people that you'd never be able to um, expose yourself to. But the, where the negative hits, and and it's not even negative because there's bands doing it, but ev- because everybody has access to it, it makes the industry harder because it's it's so saturated. Like, there's so many bands now who all have the same. Um, outlet so now people are getting bombarded with bands so it's hard to stand out so uh, like in 2008 when we were kind of playing especially in the toronto scene it was a lot it was was easier because we were we were the only band really doing it no one really knew any other canadian band doing it but as soon as the internet and everything became more like social media became very popular it just there's a thousand bands doing it there's people doing it all the time and uh it just makes it hard as a band to compete because you're competing with other bands essentially to try and gain your success um but for us yeah if it wasn't for the internet we wouldn't there'd be so many people who would never heard of us at all so it's it's great in that way it just makes the it makes the industry difficult now um like everyone's going to kind of be in a situation where it's like if we don't see this band, we can go see another band or we can go do this or there's just a lot of bands there's at people's fingers. Out there today. Yeah. 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 That's the problem. Well, you know, Matt, with the new record illusions, I said earlier, like, you know, what a big sounding record this was. And, you know, Vikram Shanka took part of this album with you. Do you think that's one of the reasons? I mean, obviously you guys, because you wrote the music, but do you think his touches really gave it that, you know, that big symphonic orchestral sound? Oh, there's no question. There's no question. He's like, the the stuff that he created was was outstanding and what people don't realize is how quickly he was doing it like he was he was writing songs and sending us tracks like within days and some of these like for instance the last song like i think they were telling me he was close to 400 tracks of orchestra wow and and for him to yeah, like within a month, he had the entire album fully orchestrated, and um, just listening to his ideas and listening to how he um, he just brought life into the songs, and um, I feel like this album wouldn't be what it, what it is if it wasn't for him because he just and I I always said the same thing even to the guys it was just he brought new life to this music because it's. 
it uh, it changed it enough where I think it was a, almost like a breath of fresh air uh, coming from our camp. You know, you know, some musicians, some artists, you know, they're not crazy when other people take, even though they invite them to be a part of the record, they're not yeah. crazy about when they try to change things around or put their own personal sure. touch on it. So when you hear his stuff for the first time with your music mixed together, there's like that smile come over your face and say, yeah, yeah, this is what we wanted. This is what we were looking for. Yes. Like, it, I was always excited when he would send a new uh, version of the song. Because it was, I knew, I knew it was going to be what we wanted. Not once did we say, hey, Vic, can you change this? Because he, um, he understood our sound. Uh, he under, he understood um, just the whole, the whole project. And I think it's important for us. And it's important to, I think, let him do his thing. Because we're the ones that wanted him. And we wanted him because of the way he writes. So I don't want to start writing things for him to do when it's it should be him creating it because he we're the asking him to do it and I want Vikram to do it. I don't want Vikram to do it through what we are telling him to do kind of thing. Yeah, no, I completely get that. You know, like I said, a big sounding record. Now you come out to playing live. I mean, how do you recreate this? I mean, with four guys, there are obviously things that you can't do live with the four of you. Do you use backing tracks? Do you adjust the songs to make it where it's just, you know, in four of you playing it with your instruments? How does it work live now? So now it's, um, so we've been doing it uh, even a little bit before Illusion. It, it is backing tracks. So we, um, unfortunately, that's just the reality of this genre for us is we can't bring an orchestra on stage. So we have to do backing tracks. We, um, I know Vic was saying like if we ever had like big festivals or something, he would, he may join us on stage um, for a bigger event sort of thing, just to, just to make it a little more authentic. But, um, but yeah, backing tracks is some people frown upon it, but it's like, what are we supposed to do? Like we can't, (laughs) we can't hire a symphony. (laughs) You can't, you can't make everybody happy, but let's be honest, you know, there are backing tracks and there are backing tracks. There's a symphonic part of it, which is a necessary part of your music that, like I said, you can't bring an orchestra on the road with you to play. <laughs> no, exactly. And, and, yeah. and then there's, you know, then there's like Vince Neil singing, you know, with backing tracks with his vocals. He can't sing anymore. There's a big difference. Sure, yeah. You know, there's two different versions of backing tracks. And I get that, but I, I don't get it when it comes to, you know, symphonic elements that need to be incorporated because – as a fan, you do want to hear that song the way it is on record. Yes, you know, you want to hear the little flubs and the little differences that come with the live performance, but as far as that big backing sound, there's no way of recreating that live, like it says, without an orchestra. So what, what is the big deal? Well, no, and that's that's kind of my approach with it. And it's like, uh, if we didn't use a, like a backing track, the songs wouldn't <laughs> be the same. It would, and it's, I don't know, and it's not uncommon. The, the genre that every band that we've toured with, every everyone's using them it's not um this forbidden thing but i know a lot of there's some people that are very keeping it raw and it's like yeah that works for that genre or depending on what kind of music you're playing of course yeah don't but for our stuff we're putting it in that's 
<laughs> I don't blame you. There are people that are upset about backing tracks, but yet they're going to see a band like Fawn that has no original members in the band, and they're okay with no, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're okay with seeing Autograph, who's got no original members in the band, but they're okay with that. But God forbid you put a keyboard set in there that they can't take with no. them, and they're going to have a heart attack over it. It's, I tell you, the, the metalheads today are getting more and more fickle. <laughs> it's, no, it's, 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 it's a crazy thing. It's so true. Uh, but I mean, what do you guys? I mean, the record, you know, it, it's going to be coming out October seventh officially at AFM. You've been with the label now for quite some time. I think going back to the yeah. Purgatory was the first record with uh, with AFM. But what do you have planned for the yeah. rest of this year? I know COVID seems to be disappearing now, so everybody's out there playing again and and going out on tour. Do you have a tour lined up, or are you looking to set something up for this year or next year? So we don't have a tour lined up. I, I think we're going to focus more on next year um, because of for us, like it's been so long, like working on this album we're just kind of happy that we can finally just sit back and then just enjoy the release of it um and another thing is like that we're always hesitant especially in the colder months even with the covid thing like we're all like i'm hoping it's done and i'm hoping that it stays this way but i just there's something about it where i feel like in the colder season people are going to get sick and then maybe people are going to get more afraid and maybe they'll start shutting down tours or things like that and for us financially if we book a tour um for december or something like that and then all of a sudden places are like oh no we're we're shutting it down again or whatever the case is it will be such a huge financial hit for us that we would rather start in the new year maybe in the spring where we know okay weather's getting better everyone's coming out of their house and and uh just get back at it so i I, we're gonna think next year will be when we're gonna start to really uh play the album live yeah that'll be great i I completely understand that it's a big financial risk you're taking you never know what's gonna happen because people like i said people are still afraid and nobody knows what they're talking about when it comes to this COVID anyway so you can't sure no exactly it's It's hard to make you know and even even can i mean they were still kind of like semi-lockdown i think until this month and lifted a lot of restrictions in october so I mean, you know, hopefully next year you guys can get back out on the road and do this, because are the plans to do the whole record start to finish, or are you just going to mix up the whole catalog? We'll mix up the whole catalog. I don't I don't know if we have a big enough uh, following to, to do that, uh, something like that bold, uh, where we would just do the, the one album. I think we need to play some of the older songs that originally brought people to us. Um, and some of the songs are just very difficult to play live especially like we have some guests on the new album and uh it it would be like if we want to talk about backing tracks if we had to get female singers and stuff like that it would just be it wouldn't be the same effect so we uh we would pick and choose the songs from illusions that we know we can uh really nail down and play correctly and uh properly live and then we would add our old uh our old catalog as well well, Matt, I'm hoping that you come out on tour next year. I hope you get back to the U.S. over here. It'd be great to see you guys live. I mean, great job with Delusions. You know, October 7th, AFM Records. Matt, it was a pleasure talking to you today. I'm going to get on a couple of songs off this record so people can hear what you guys concocted. And the best of luck with this record and the band. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate the interview. Anytime, my friend. Take care. Have a great night. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.
All right, brand new Borealis, Bury Me Alive. I want to thank Matt and Lee for being on tonight's show. We're going to wrap it up here tonight. One more song by Warning SF, and then we're going to call it a night. I will see you guys next week with Christian Harvard from Zentrex. I apologize if I'm slurring my speech a little bit tonight. I had a procedure done on my back yesterday. I'm a little doped up still, so I'll be back in full force by next Sunday night. So take care, everybody. Have a great week. Like I said, Warning SF, Thunderhead. Have a great one, everyone. Algunas personas no entienden de dónde sacas todas esas ganas de seguir adelante. Porque a ti nada te detiene. Ni a Carlos, ni a María, ni a Héctor, ni a Jenny. Y como en Dunkin', sabemos que América no se mueve sin ti. Seguiremos haciendo el cafecito que tanto te gusta para que sigas adelante. América se mueve con Dunkin'. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.